Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're having a special session on corporate storytelling or startup storytelling. We'll find out you know, what, what the difference is potentially because we're going to talk to Donna Griffith and she coaches many of the startups and corporates about how to tell a story. Now, that is maybe sometimes a little bit underrated. You know, if you're in certain cultures, you think that your work will speak for itself. Well, the truth is it won't, right? You need, you know, you need to tell the story. And uh, how do you do it effectively? Uh, this is what Donna will tell us. So, Donna, how are you? And uh, Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about my favorite topic, storytelling. <laughs> wonderful. So how did you get to do what you do today? Well, you know, my favorite word in the English language is serendipity, which uh, if, if people that don't know the word, it basically means happy accident, being in the right place at the right time. And, and I feel like my career has been like this series of pick up your eyes and look, there's like a flashing light or flashing sign saying this exit. <laughs> so turn there. So I've been very lucky to discover that because I mean, I didn't grow up saying, oh, I want to be a storyteller didn't know that, that that was even an option. I mean, in fact, when I was in school, I'd have, you know, on my report card, teachers writing, uh, Donna needs to learn how to talk less. <laughs> I wonder if those teachers realize that I'm actually making a living uh, talking and ha- having other people talk. But anyway, um, so I, from a very young age, I was very into acting and I, something in me knew that it wasn't quite enough and I wanted to do something with that. Um, I got my master's degree in drama therapy at NYU, um, which is basically a combination of acting and, and, and helping people through traumas and mental uh, challenges and emotional challenges. Uh, and I basically figured out that that was basically kind of going to be the life of a starving artist if I continued on that path. So I'm like, okay, now time to level up. And I started, uh, you know, taking courses and I had one lecture say that she had a friend that travels the world being um, a, a motivational speaker and giving, giving workshops. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I want to do. One of those flashing light moments. So I started exploring how you learn that. And at NYU, they had a continuing program post-masters for training in organizational development. Signed up for that, and I happened to see an ad in in Craigslist looking for corporate trainers for presentation skills. Sent in my resume, got the job, worked with um, this wonderful company called Boyer Communications Group for 
um, over a decade and then branched out on my own. In 2008, uh, <laughs> a little bit of deja vu for the past uh, year and a half as, as I, I started off working with enterprises up until that point. So I was traveling the globe, working with companies um, in, in many different arenas from silicon chips to potato chips to chocolate chips and uh, teaching people how to create powerful messages and how to deliver them. Um, 2008 hit and the minute uh, a crisis hits, the first thing an enterprise does is cut anything on a non-essential. So knowing how to present is apparently not essential. <laughs> so, um, so I started looking around at other opportunities and then I, I realized that startups were really struggling to raise funding. And I, I, and there was really nobody working with them on this. And I said, okay, this is my next audience. I'm going to be working with startups and their pitch decks. And you know how the lovely people all around are like, oh yeah, startups, I can't pay you. Startups won't need you. Startups don't want, I'm like, okay, thank you. And, and over time <laughs> I, I, you know, I built my reputation. I worked with a lot of accelerators and a lot of pitch competitions and a lot of schools that were starting to do entrepreneurial programming. You've got to remember 2008, 2009, this was, this was still in days where it was just very early to have programs supporting entrepreneurship. Um, right. And since then, you know, I've worked with over a thousand VCs, startups, accelerators, and Silicon Valley giants like Facebook and Google in pretty much any industry you can imagine. And then some that probably would blow your mind. Um, while I have done a lot of work with fintech companies, um, I mean, my week can range anywhere from a nuclear reactor that's producing clean energy with zero emissions all the way to a uh, vegan chili and soup grab and go brand. So, I mean, it, it, it's just that broad. <laughs> Um, so I love it. I, I, I get to work with the most brilliant minds, helping them tell their story in the most brilliant and shiny way. And I'm somebody once called me the polisher of diamonds and I couldn't be more precise. When somebody goes and checks out your website, you know, they will see the word corporate storytelling flashed, you know, in a bright, mm -hmm. uh, bright font there. So mm -hmm. what is the corporate story storytelling? So a corporate storyteller in, in my um, world, how I explain it is I, you know, I travel the globe and help people not be boring um, because so many presentations, whether it's in a large corporate or a startup can just be droning and boring and going on and on with facts and figures and numbers and data. And especially, you know, with fintech, you, you pull out the Excels and start going over and over and I'm there to help them give meaning to the facts and figures and, and, and uh, make sure that nobody is bored, they're excited, and they're hearing what's meaningful to them. Because, I mean, just going to the very basics of storytelling um, and, and not even getting into the mechanics of storytelling, the first people we tell stories to uh, are our kids. And, and that's their first experience with taking in information about the world. And you're not going to bore your kids to death. I mean, you might think that's going to put them to sleep as a baby. Not going to happen. <laughs> but you need to pull out what's interesting and what's engaging for your audience. And that's exactly what I help them do. Find what's engaging, interesting, and meaningful for their audiences. That's the essence of storytelling for me. Brilliant. And, you know, as, as we chatted before, I also coach executives at Inside and other schools. And what I tell them is that you need to tell the audience what they need to know to make a decision. 
So mm-hmm. that's a variation of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Not more than not less. And def- definitely not more because you're not doing a diary of how hard you worked. You know, no. they assume you worked hard to get to this meeting and you paid for it. So you just tell them the outcome, not what you have been doing over the past six months, you know, to get here, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's just uh, my angle on storytelling. But mm-hmm. why is it important? You know, why is it important not to be boring also in business or also in finance and fin- financial services or fintech? Some people say that this is inherently boring, so there's nothing you can do. Um I, I don't think that there's any boring topics. I think that they're just unengaged listeners. And I think any topic can be made fascinating if it's tailored to the audience. Uh, I've seen some fascinating fintech uh, products that we've brought the story to life about. Um, and the thing is, we compete for people's attention span so much these days. We've got... Our, our smartphones and our social networks, and we're always being pulled off to another direction. So it's, it, it's hard enough to compete, but when you're not speaking to the audience or in a way that's meaningful to them, you're totally going to lose them. And then what happens? There's a reason you're trying to engage them. You want um, to get funding. You want to sell. You want to uh, engage them in, in a partnership. And if they're not listening to you, that's just not going to happen. Absolutely. So how should a good storyline look like? Mm. Okay. So, I mean, I defer back to the classics and the greats always. If we look at uh, Greek classics and Shakespeare, Moliere, Chekhov, all of the way that, that stories have been written for so many years who are actually the baseline of feature films and, and, and Netflix series today, it, it, it still stems back to that. So we have to write in a way that is is the structure that our brain has been used to to taking in to dig in information for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. This is nothing new. Um, it's just taking something that's an art form and and making it relevant for today. So we have to build something that first and foremost it is addressing the problem or the pain that our audience has. Now, people might be saying, oh, problem solution, that's so passe, but it's not, <laughs> unless you consider things that are thousands of years old passe, and which you might, but there's reasons that it still perseveres after so long. So we need to get in touch with what our audience needs. That's like the first act of our play. And it might be the person listening to us, or it might be an investor wanting to invest in that audience. And we have to make it super clear I was working with a company yesterday um, in the travel industry, and they work with a lot of different types of businesses within the travel industry. And and I said, you know, are investors going to know who all these players are and what they do? And they said, for the most part, no. So we have to level set. We have to bring them into the world of pain of this industry and how much money is being lost and how much time is being wasted and and. Language of love for investors is numbers, by the way. So so fintech has an advantage in that. So we need to start off with that. Then act two, the hero, the solution. How are you going to solve this? How are you going to, 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 to make their pain go away? Walk us through your, your product. Let us bring it to life. Get us excited about it. Act three. Okay, great. So you're solving a problem. You've got a great product now. How's this going to make money? What are the business? What's the what's the business model? What are 
the 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 uh, competitive comparisons. How are you really going to succeed at this? How are you going to bring it to market? And then Act Four, the visionary piece. Okay, great. So once you've achieved, you've gotten our money. Where are you going from there? How are you going to make this an even bigger vision? What's your roadmap for the next 18 months? What's your vision for the next five years? So it's really like a movie. You know, a problem comes, then a hero comes to deal with it. The hero fights the battle. And then after the battle is won, okay, that's one battle. What's next? Boom. And all of a sudden, you won Cannes Film Festival. But, um, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... I mean, everybody has a different process, but what would be your advice? I mean, how do you, how do you build this sort of storyline, right? How do you work? Some people try to be a bit linear. Some people work in millions of iterations, right? I think right. It, it is an iterative process for sure, but some people have maybe more tolerance for pain than others. Who knows? You know, when sometimes when you do it in banks, if the meeting was moved from Tuesday to Tuesday next week, then that means it's another hundred iterations because you have more time to do to make them. So why not, right? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Why should you be wasting your time with a hundred or a thousand iterations of a presentation? It's not everybody's core skill. That's why I mean, my schedule is booked out for the next month because people are tired of right. iterating on it themselves. I mean, and I feel the same way about when I have to do taxes or any kind of reports or anything. I I, I could kiss the ground that my CPA and my bookkeeper work on because. They're taking away such a big pain for me of doing something that I would never be able to do as well. And it's, it's it's a huge pain point. So that's the one thing, if you can engage with a storyteller, engage with someone who's an expert on this because they will see things that you can't see. But if you're doing it yourself, you can take a look on my website, DonnaGriffith.com under resources. I have a cheat sheet for an investor deck, for a sales deck, for a demo day slash competition deck, which takes you through the points of everything that should be there. So there is a method to the madness. And and I can save you a lot of time just giving you that here. I'm like, here's here's the keys to the castle. Go ahead and and stay. (laughs) So it's really the way I built this cheat sheet and this template is around your audience's questions and concerns. All of it is built around what they need to hear in order to calm their, their objections and make them get excited about it. So that's the that's the foundation of building trust is getting into the other person's shoes and understanding what they want to hear before they even know that that's what they want to hear. Brilliant. Now, the next point is if you're lucky enough to get a meeting face-to-face or virtually these days, I mean, how do you deliver it? For example, when I was at INSEAD, I remember... We had very different people in the study group, and one of them used to be an actor and opera singer in the U.S., so shout out to Eric, mm-hmm. uh, turned marketing executive. So, you know, you said you had an acting background. Not everybody does, right? But mm-hmm. how do you deliver it so that it's engaging and uh, the messages jump off at the page, uh, you know, front, off the pages and, and, uh, and you deliver the desired result? Excellent question. So yeah, it definitely helps to have some kind of performance background. And I would highly suggest, um, you know, even just take an improv class or a Toastmasters or something that gets you more comfortable and having more fun with it. Um, because that can that can make a huge difference for you as well. Um, another thing is, people will come to me and say, you know, I'm not very good at presenting, or I get very nervous. And then I'll look at their materials and I'll say, I'll see that it's just not written 
well enough. And it's, of course, you get nervous when you don't know what you're going to say and everything is kind of sticking all over. Um, so you need, first of all, I think 50% of nerves and delivery can be solved by a good, solid story and script. Because then you have that kind of relief of, yes, I know what I'm saying. I know how to say it. Then it's all about practice. I want you to practice your pitch as much as possible, not in front of the mirror. You get too self-conscious. You can record yourself. You can present in front of friends, family, um, uh, neighbors, your team. You know what? If you're on a train or a plane or an Uber, I don't know <laughs> if people are back traveling again, present it to your driver, present it to the person sitting next to you. You know, it, it's, it's just getting comfortable enough and don't memorize it. Okay. This is an old trick from, from, um, acting days because I mean, I would, I would act, uh, in a play. I, I had, I was in this wonderful, um, uh, comedy called bedroom farce. It's a, it's a British comedy. And the woman who was playing my mother-in-law, she's an incredible actress, but there was always one point where she would flub the line and it completely set everything off into like this path of, Oh my gosh, how do we save this now? So if you forget one line, if you've memorized it, you're going to go completely black, black. And that's not going to look good. So just repeat it enough times that you know exactly what you want to say about this slide, but don't worry about it being verbatim. Right. I mean, this is a great, uh, great advice. Uh, again, I remember my friend Nancy, she took a course uh, years ago in New York from Dale Carnegie Institute. Mm. And, uh, you know, after the course, I remember, well, maybe she was like that before. I don't know, but she was so good in presenting and also there are technical nuances in different formats, right? When you work with a mic, how do you work with a microphone? Mm. Now, how do you work with a camera if it's virtual and things like this? But she's been as good as any U.S. presidential candidate after this. So <laughs> Wonderful. Um, very impressive. And same thing with uh, my other friends in Zurich who go to uh, Toastmasters, uh, Diesha and uh, Alex. Uh, very, very impressive speakers and presenters. So all I'm trying to say here with different examples is Delivery is sometimes as uh, important as content, or maybe always, right? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, but but you can't just have it. I mean, some people are great sure. presenters, but they need great materials. Think of it in a way um, like a rocket ship. So you've got this actual vessel that's going to go off into space, but it's useless if it doesn't have the rocket launcher to get it out. And and then the rocket launcher once it leaves the atmosphere falls away and back down into the ocean. And then just the, the rocket ship is, the vessel is in orbit. So think of the rocket vessel as your message. And then as the, the launcher, the booster, as your delivery of it, you've got to have great on both. And I mean, you, if you have passion about a specific topic, let that passion show through. Let your excitement shine through. Always go like 25% higher on your energy level than you normally would. You might feel silly. Believe me, you're not going to look silly. You're, you're going to just be more persuasive and more passionate, especially over a, a Zoom. You got to keep that energy level up. Awesome. Um, I also looked at some of your resources on the website myself, and I've seen something very interesting. You said you also know what the investors are talking about after the pitch, after they met the founder. So if I were a founder, I would be, I would be very curious, you know, what is it that they talk about me or the pitch um, after they've heard something like that? 
So, oh, when investors talk about, yes. So I'm fortunate enough to sometimes be in the room with pitch sessions um, where, you know, there'll be a panel of five VC partners from leading Silicon Valley firms. And there's a group of, uh, of entrepreneurs that have the opportunity to pitch to them for five minutes. Um, five minutes might not seem like a long time, but it can be very long, considering that a lot of accelerators have now, like YC has taken it down to a two-minute pitch. Um, and then usually these these uh, investors, you know, they wouldn't, after a meeting, they wouldn't give direct feedback. Usually it's like, maybe you'll hear something, maybe you won't, but they are asked to give these entrepreneurs direct, very to the point, very in your face feedback. Um, and so we get to kind of see inside the mind of a VC partner and how they think and what they're looking for and what they really thought of everything from the font size and, and the design of your slide to how much information you put to the order of it. So so a few tidbits I've picked up that really surprised me. One, um, they want to see you taking notes. And when I mean taking notes, not on your laptop, not on your phone, not having your partner sit there writing actual CEO or founder that's presenting with a notebook and a pen or a pencil, those antiquated little writing devices, taking notes from their notes. Because I, and I've heard this time and time again, if you're not showing that you can be coachable, what does that say about, you know, as we go through the process, they're not just throwing money and leaving. They're going to be an active part of your company. Either they'll have a board seat or they'll, they'll be part of meetings and in crucial decisions. So even they said, even if you're going to just scribble something and throw it away later, show active listening. Um, another thing is another VC partner said to me once, you know, there's so many great companies out there. It's it's not a question of how we say yes. It's looking for the no's. So he said, so for example, if somebody picks up their phone during a meeting and looks at it and looks at a message, that's it for us. They have better things to be doing. They're not in the room. So, I mean, it might seem nitpicky. Um, Another thing is, is arguing. I've seen founders, you know, they'll have a question or an investor will say something to them, you know, that, that, that seems controversial and they'll argue with them. And, and most likely they're testing you. If they're saying something that's purposely controversial, see how you respond and you don't want to argue. It doesn't look good. And you want to, you know, thank them for their advice. You can respond to it. If you don't have a response, say, you know, I'd love to get back to you on that with more information. Great. You can continue the conversation, but don't argue. Don't come off being a jerk. Nobody wants to work with a jerk. Uh, and this is, you know, they're going to be with you for a good three to seven to even I've had, I, I have a client that exit that IPO this year after 11 years of, of since their founding. So you never know how long this journey will be. Um, and another thing, never diss your competition. It's a very bad look. I, I saw, uh, I, I saw with my own eyes, the conversation A VC. So was introduced to a, uh, a founder and the founder's like, oh yeah, we do X, Y, Z. And they said, oh, do you know this company? And the founder said, oh, they suck. They're horrible. They're, you know, it turned out that that investor was was involved with that company. They weren't hadn't invested, but they were involved as an advisor. And that just does not look good. So don't do it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, understood. Now, also, uh, in your 
services or on your website, you talk about fundraising Silicon Valley style. So I guess everybody who listens to this podcast also listen to Silicon or watch the Silicon Valley TV show, right? <laughs> so does it resemble anything like this you've seen in the sh- on the show or is it uh, something different? You know what's funny? When I say pitching Silicon Valley style, I, I wasn't talking about the show, but you know, sure. we were watching the show, uh, my husband and I, and 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 living here, and my husband has a startup. It it's so painfully close to the truth. And of course, it's a bit exaggerated and they put a lot of things together, but really the show had about a hundred advisors that were giving them real life things that happened. And I mean, so these are totally based on, and of course, you know, it all happens to one particular startup that that doesn't usually happen. But when I say um, um, pitching Silicon Valley style, the investors here are some of the smartest people you will meet in the world. They're sharp. They get your business fast. They understand it. They can probably explain it to you in a way that you never thought about. So you need to up your level. You need to make it in a way that is totally savvy and totally in sync with them, yet not going totally over their heads. Because I've seen the, I've also seen that happen where you're talking very technical and they just, again, we talked about disengaging and not listening. You've just gone over there. And it's not that they're not smart, but sometimes there's technologies that are very deep. Nobody really cares exactly how it works. It's the fact that it works and there is technology. So, so keep very, elevate your message Come in with confidence, show a big vision, paint a massive picture, but don't get too technical and down in the weeds. Right. So listen up, right? And uh, what are the few biggest mistakes that you think that startups make in their pitches? And what do you think should be or must be in the pitch deck? I think that um, I, I address some of the biggest mistakes um, in, in you know the arguing and in, in the distant competition, but I think overtelling getting too long to get to the point, you know, we got it. Sometimes it's just, you're, you're going to talk about a problem that's so obvious and so painful that you don't have to say much, just back it up with some numbers and get to the solution. Um, going, like I said, too deep into the tech part of it, save that for later. I, I, I usually think of it like a, a first date. And if there's anyone dating out there, uh, if on your first date, you start talking about your plans for the future, where you'd like to get married, um, how many kids you want to have, there's a really good chance that that you're not going to hear from that person again. <laughs> Give him time, woo them, bring them in. And then in later meetings, when you've gotten a second date, you can go in and talk about the nitty gritty and the numbers and the tech and the bits. And, and the, the vacation in 2047. <laughs> And the vacation in 2047 and where you're going to go after your IPO. Um, and another thing is, that is super important is the way it looks. You may not think it matters, but it does. We eat with our eyes first. And if we're looking at something that's a jumble of infinite text, you're just going to be competing with your own words. They've got to read and listen to you. Same part of the brain is, is trying to do the same language processing piece. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Okay. So, so really um, minimize the text on the slides, keep it simple, keep it clear. And then people are like, yeah, but what if they want to see it afterwards? You can create another version. You can do a send out deck that has a bit more text on it, but don't punish the people in the room for someone that might read it later on. Right. So make it pretty again, remember the dating, right? (laughs) 
it's not just pretty. It's 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 aesthetically pleasing. And it's yeah, I mean, if you think of the dating, I, I had a date once that showed up with Crocs and a torn t-shirt and and like cut off jeans and he, I was dressed really nicely. It, it 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 felt weird. It felt like, you know, oh, you didn't, you know, think enough of me to at least change your clothes and I, I you don't need to come in a suit. But at the same time, respect your product. Let your slides represent that. Understood. Understood. Now obviously moving on to another very important topic. It's it is a a major issue when you look at the funding. When you look at the number of founders, gender diversity, right? So some people say it's 4%, 7% or 7% of the startups in America or in the world are funded by women. Same thing on the on the VC teams, et cetera. Things have started changing perhaps you know, recently. So what is different if you're fundraising as a woman and uh, maybe you still have a typical uh, all-male uh, VC investors on the other side of the table? I want to say that things are shifting. Uh, I see more women VC partners. Um, I see more um, women getting into the world of investing. And like you said before, if if we're investing in what's similar and familiar to us, uh, my hope is that more women will invest in women. I worked with an incredible company yesterday, fully led by women. Their chairwoman is a woman who's who's a VC partner at the VCs that invest in them. And she was involved in the process of the deck. I mean, and it's just mind blowing how serious and how driven and how fast they worked. Um, I, I'm hoping that the whole misnomer of women, oh no, they're going to be mothers and they're going to be taken away from it. I mean, the fact that we're mothers makes us 18 bazillion times better because we know how to juggle a million things at once and still keep our concentration level there. And, um, and, and the same thing with minority. I mean, I just, I I'm really excited to see more and more people waking up and saying, you know, we need to change the face of this. We need to explore outside our 10 mile radius. We need to get more people in and, and we need to get them funded. So um, in, in, in the community that I lead, Women Founders Unite, we're always trying to find ways to help women branch out more and support their journey. Um, and, and I will just encourage you out there. It, it's not that women need, you know, the help because they're less capable. It's just there's been a glass door, glass window, glass ceiling, glass everything there. And it's very thick paned glass. And we keep hitting it. Uh, and it's time to change that. It's time to really shatter it and and just open things up and 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 let great people from different wakes of life come in. Well, great that you're trying to break it as well, right? With your other initiatives, yeah, yeah. So, what is your further recommended reading on storytelling? Is there any book that people can read as well, in addition to to the uh, presentations that you have put together? Um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of great uh, resources out there. Um, that it, Pitch Anything is a good book. Uh, I love Nancy Duarte's stuff. Um, her TED Talks great, and it's, there's so many things out there uh, that that you can read and great resources. So really take advantage of it. Um, read things that investors that used to be entrepreneurs also like. Reed Hoffman has great stuff. Um, also, um, Andreessen and Horowitz, they both write great stuff. So Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz read their books one to zero, zero to one is a fabulous, fabulous resource for that. 
Uh, and and blogs, Mark Suster, both sides of the table, he writes an incredible blog with really direct advice about stories of, of, of founders that come across his table, in, you know, virtually over these days, um, and, and the things that he sees and, and what motivates him to invest. So it's a great way to get inside the mind of an investor. Well, wonderful. So thank you very much. Now, what is the best way for people to reach out to you and find out more about what you do? First of all, check out my website, Donna Griffith, no H at the end, like Melanie Griffith without the H, dot com. Um, and uh, I've got a ton of resources that I hope will be very helpful for you. Check them out. They're free. Uh, and you can just drop me a line there. And there's a button that says, let's talk, set up a call uh, and and let's talk. And anybody mentioning this podcast will get a special discount. So please let me know that you heard about me through through the podcast so that we can make uh, your visions come true well brilliant well thank you very much donna and uh, good luck with everything from voice of fintech thanks for having me thank you for listening to voice of fintech podcast if you haven't already check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.